media ministry of Cornerstone Church. You can listen to this and other messages on our website at www.corner-stone.org or by subscribing to our podcast. Open your Bibles to Mark chapter 12, starting with verse 18. As I said last week, whenever we come upon any passage, uh, but especially those that maybe rock our world a little bit, uh, those are the most important words that I will say this morning is open your Bibles to this passage, the Word of God, because we can really be led by emotions quite a bit. Again, last week, we can kind of get mad over what Jesus said about politics if we understand what he truly was saying there. Uh, I think this is probably uh, one of those passages that makes a lot of people sad. Will we be married in heaven? I'll go ahead and give you the, the, the punchline today. Uh, biblically speaking, no. Now, there's a lot more to that. Okay, uh, the answer, simple answer is no. We will not be given in marriage in heaven if we understand and accept what the Bible teaches. But but what does that mean and what does it not mean? I think that over the years of ministry that um, there have been many that have asked that question, maybe has come up in a sermon or a reading or something like that, or they heard and so they you know maybe run to the pastor and say, okay, I, I heard that maybe we're not going to, you know, my wife's not going to be my wife in heaven. And uh, when we begin to look at the scripture, uh, and, and they hear at least my interpretation of this conclusion, which I think Jesus made pretty straightforward, uh, two, two answers. Well, that's just not right. I don't, I don't agree with that answer. And I get that. I really do get this kind of emotional response that we would have. Um, but if we start disagreeing with the sections of the Bible that we don't like, then, uh, uh, guys, it's, it's, we're not accepting the full counsel of God. Uh, others will say, you know, I, well, now I wish that I'd not asked the question. In other words, this biblical knowledge isn't something that really makes us comfortable. Uh, truth is, I don't like the answer that Jesus gave. Everything in my concept of marriage right now, I love my wife. And as we've ce- celebrated 37 years, the thought of eternity with, where she's not my wife and I'm not her husband is foreign to me. It's just it's foreign. It doesn't bring a sense of gladness. And, and that is one of my warnings this morning to, to everybody here, that as we say these different things, be careful with your amens this morning. An amen in the inappropriate praise this morning could really cost you dearly this week, okay? We're not going to be married in, in heaven. Amen. You know, that's, it just doesn't go... But, but that, and then, you know, the other thing, just trying to be real with you this morning, that has caused great sadness is when people ask if their pet is going to be with them in heaven. And, I, you know, will there be animals in, in heaven? I think that there might be. The lion lays down with the lamb. You know, there's going to be a part of creation. Will your pet be in heaven? I don't think so. I don't know. And people really get, now they get sad and mad over that one. Sometimes more than when you just told them that they're not going to be with their husband or their wife. I mean, it's an amazing thing that we have these emotions and we have these things that exist in our lives now that bring us great happiness that we cannot imagine being without. And so this is really a hard subject. It was one of those that, um, you know, Jesus doesn't avoid. He doesn't avoid anything. It is another trap that is being trying to be set by yet another group. So let's work through this uh, passage. Listen, when we have times that we're going, okay, I, I don't understand or I'd like a more complete answer, uh, then we'll let Scripture interpret Scripture. And then you walk away with your conclusion. I think that the conclusion is pretty solid of what Jesus says and what we can draw from that. The talk, topic came up from a group of religious leaders called the Sadducees. 
And uh, they are the third group. If you've been wo- working through the Gospel of Mark with us in chapter 11 and 12, then uh, this is the third straight group in this Passion Week, These last, this last week of Christ before he goes to the cross to die for us. Um, that tries to trip him up. There's, he's gaining a lot of enemies. He's had enemies for a long time, but he's gaining even more, and especially as we come to this crucial part of his arrest and then his crucifixion, uh, it seems like people are just piling on. If you remember back in Mark 11, it was the chief priests, the elders, and the scribes that were against him, and they asked him about authority. Last week we see that the Pharisees and the Herodians that were not, they were just enemies to one another. They hated one another, and yet uh, they got together because they had a common enemy that they hated even more, Jesus Christ. And here we see the Sadducees in Mark chapter 18, and they come to him, and they don't like him because the Sadducees were the religious elite. They were mostly uh, aristocratic. They were kind of wealthy. They were well entrenched into uh, Rome. They were very sympathetic to the Hellenists, if you kind of know what that group is. And so these would have been very sympathetic to Rome and ties to, to that. And so, but, but here's the important thing. The people may not have really liked them, but the Sadducees predominated uh, a lot of the court and the rulings of the Sanhedrin. Remember, the Sanhedrin is like the supreme court of Jewish life. And kind of if you had questions about religion and if you could do this, if you shouldn't do this, what does the Bible say? You would go to the Sanhedrin and they would make their, uh, bring their verdict. And there were a lot of Sadducees on that. So they had positions of power whether you agreed with them or not. One of the things that you really need to know about them as we would read verse 18 and 19, keep it in context, is that they did not believe in the resurrection. So they would, that's why the Pharisees and the Sadducees did not like each other. Pharisees very much believed in the resurrection, and the Sadducees didn't. And I'll never forget, uh, anybody ever heard Walk Through the Bible? They do a conference. We, we had that years ago. And I'll never forget the description that has stuck with me ever since then. Uh, the guy that was leading that said, you know, who were the Sadducees? Well, they didn't believe in the resurrection. That's why they were sad, you see. And that's has stuck with me all these years because there's this sadness thinking, okay, we would just live life and then it would end. And that's what they believed. They did not believe in a bodily resurrection and they did not believe in a soul that was resurrected. So that's kind of the context here. Uh, they only paid attention to the books of Moses in the Old Testament. They really didn't give any credence to the other books of the Old Testament. And so they're just kind of really leaning on this, this portion of the Bible. But as Jesus would point out later on, uh, they weren't even uh, really paying full attention to what Moses wrote because they, very much they would have believed in a resurrection if they just read the word. But look at verse 18 and 19. The Sadducees came to him who said that there is no resurrection, and they asked him a question saying, Teacher, Moses wrote for us that if a man's brother dies and leaves a wife but leaves no child, the man must take the widow and raise uh, uh, the and raise up offspring for his brother. Okay, well, what he's basically what they're making reference to. You can find that back in Deuteronomy chapter twenty-five, verse five and six. Okay, when you go back there, there was it's what's called the deliberate marriage, and basically, if I have a brother and I die and I don't have an heir, I don't have a son 
then that brother was commanded to come and take my former wife, I'm now dead, and marry her and kind of keep uh, until there is an heir. And then everything would go and he'd kind of keep the estate. Now that may seem really ancient and old because it is ancient and old, but that was the time that they lived in and that very much was the understanding. It was very much... Um, uh, for this understanding, uh, I love how the Old Testament says it, so that the name would not be blotted out. So that the name Bobby Lincoln would not be blotted out. So God does it in a compassionate way. And so, uh, and, and it's really kind of funny that if, if for some reason the brother didn't want to marry the wife, there's a whole chapter there that describes that you can go to the courtyard, you can take his sandal, and you can spit in his face and hit him with the sandal. And he will be known as the one that was spat upon and hit with a sandal. I mean, the Old Testament, you, you got to love it. you got to love that, wow, that's kind of crazy. But that was what was pronounced in the Word of God. But it was for the protection so that his name would not be blotted out of Israel. So here, these people that don't even believe in the resurrection try to trap Jesus with a question about the resurrection. Kind of see the irony of that. It's kind of incredible. Look at verse 20 through 22. They tell this story. And most scholars believe that this story was used oftentimes with the Pharisees and others to mock and make fun of this belief in the resurrection. So this is probably not a new argument that they used. It was an argument that they continually used because they thought they had like this perfect go-to. What was this perfect go-to? Verse 20 through 22. There were seven brothers, and the first took a wife, and when he died, left no offspring. And the second took her and died, leaving no offspring. And the third likewise. And the seven left no Offspring. In other words, you would go one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. If it was nowadays, the police would be questioning the widow, okay? <laughs> I mean, seven husbands. But that's not part of their story, okay? Seven times she marries the brother. They leave no offspring. And look at the last part of verse 22. Last of all, the woman also died. So they're kind of feeling this law of Deuteronomy, this command of God, that you're supposed to take care, marry your your uh, brother's wife when she becomes a widow. And then they set the trap. They explain this story. This has happened seven times over. Verse 23. In the resurrection that they don't even believe in, when they rise again, what they don't even believe in, whose wife will she be? For the seven had her as wife. Now remember, again, they don't believe in the resurrection. This is all a trap. Jesus knows that it's a trap. He knows that once again that this is the third group in almost successive days that is trying to to discredit his ministry and who he is. And it's really a mockery against the beliefs of the resurrection. They're hoping that Jesus will be backed into a corner and somehow give an answer that would border on some kind of inappropriate, incestuous relationship between this widow and the multitude of brothers. are something that would violate Old Testament law, even though they're violating Old Testament law by not believing in the resurrection. What does Jesus say? Verse 24 and 25. Jesus said to them, It is not the reason, is this not the reason you are wrong? Because you neither, uh, know neither the scriptures nor the power of God. 
For when they rise from the dead, they will neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels in heaven. Two main things we need to know by Jesus' response, and then we're going to flesh them out, okay? With Scripture and with what Jesus has said. First, that they were scripturally wrong about the resurrection. First and foremost, he kind of covers the theology. He said, you, you don't understand what the scripture says about the resurrection. And he calls them on that. The second thing, he says, there will not be marriage in heaven. Out of those two things, we honestly don't really pay attention to the first one as much. But we really gravitate to that second one. And, and naturally so. Now remember, at this time, Jesus has many, many, many times said what will happen after he's crucified on the cross. That he will be buried and what will happen? On the third day he will rise again. So he, his whole ministry, the focus of his whole work is I will die for your sins, I will be buried, but I will have victory over sin, death, and the grave. It, this, this is the whole picture of my coming. This is the whole purpose of why I'm here. Not only to die for you, but that I will be risen again, and I will have this victory. So important is the resurrection that the Apostle Paul and the others said that without the resurrection, we have nothing to preach. There's no hope. In fact, this is how Paul said it, 1 Corinthians 15, verse 13 and 14. But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. In other words, there is not a single reason without the resurrection for us to gather this morning. Not a single reason. Because the preaching is in vain, our hope is in vain, everything is, our faith is in vain. This is, the resurrection is a foundation of all of our beliefs. It's that central. It's not an aside. It's not kind of an important thing to know. It is the foundation. Because guys, think about it. Christ, even if he was sinless, and he was, but let's just say, this man is sinless. He is the Son of God, and he was, and he dies, and he did, but he does not rise again. Do you see where all of Christianity falls apart? And the entirety of our hope, the entirety of the victory that he won over sin, death, and the grave is gone. This is in the entirety of our hope. Not one part of it, but the entirety of it. And so the resurrection is the foundation. So the first thing that Jesus addresses, he said, you're scripturally wrong. Now again, remember, they just liked the books of Moses. They didn't pay attention to other passages. For example, in Job, one of the most ancient books in the Old Testament, I know it's not the first, it's not Genesis, but we do consider that Job is probably one of the oldest written books of the whole Old Testament. And what did it say in Job? Job 19, verse 25 and 26. For I know that my Redeemer lives, and at the last he will stand upon the earth. Now listen, verse 26. And after my skin has been thus destroyed, yet in my flesh I shall see God. Job is talking about the resurrection. He's talking about a bodily resurrection. Not just kind of a soul, you know, even though our soul definitely, definitely will be there. In fact, what happens to, you know, somebody who passes right now, one of your loved ones who's passed? To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. 
There's a soul resurrection in the immediacy for those who are in Christ Jesus. There will be a bodily resurrection one day. But immediately we get God. Uh, Daniel chapter 12, verse 2. And many of those who sleep in the dust, sleep was kind of this uh, uh, metaphor for death. And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life and some to the shame of everlasting contempt. There is an eternal life. The amazing thing is that just about every religion in the world believes in the afterlife. I mean, there's some atheists, there's some agnostic, there's some that, hey, you, you die and we truly, we just die. There are some people that believe that. But most religions, whether they are focused on the Bible or even if they are very contrary to the Bible, still have this belief of what's going to happen in the afterlife. And Jesus tells us right here that the Sadducees, he said, you haven't read Scripture or you would know the answer to this, that there is a resurrection. So he corrects them on this. And then he gets to the part that really is much more, if you want to say, important to us or at least emotional, sentimental to us. He says that there will not be marriage in heaven. And unfortunately, this has led a lot of people to believe uh, some wrong things about his statement, uh, that we will not know our spouse or family in heaven. Wrong. You'll be known as you're known. I will know Carly in heaven. I believe I will know my, my daughters, my granddaughters, my friends. We will be known as we're known. Lazarus and, and, and the beggar, they recognize each other. How do we recognize Elijah and Moses when they showed up at, you know, when Jesus is being transfigured? There's this, you know, we will be known. So just because we won't be given in marriage doesn't mean that I won't know Carly. I truly believe that the scripture reflects that. The other thing is there are a lot of people who think that when we die and we go to heaven, that if you're a Christian, you become an angel. Wrong. Angel is a whole different creation. And God made angels, and he made us. And he had purpose in both. And I, I realized that, well, you know, <laughs> I guess my sister's up there, you know, just my, my guardian angel. And I get that sentiment, I really do. And I'm not trying to make mockery of that, but it's not biblical. So let's try to be accurate why does that make us feel sentimentally kind of secure that we have somebody looking over us? Well, the Bible says that we do have somebody, but that was their role. And it's not because it was grandma, and it's not because it was Aunt Susie, and it wasn't because it was this person. God already said, I give you somebody to help you. If you want to call it a guardian angel, you can, I think that's stretching it a little bit biblically, but, but that's okay. I really believe that God has created people, or angels, for the purpose of protecting us and being with us in spiritual warfare as we travel this life. But I don't think it's Aunt Susie. Why? Because the scripture says that we're not going to become angels. And, and yet what we say, see here in that verse is that, okay, that, that we're going to be like angels and that we're not given in marriage. As far as we can tell, angels don't marry and angels don't have baby angels. Just, we, we don't see that scripturally. If you ask me, how many angels are there? I don't know, but I think it's the exact same number today as there was when God created angels. I don't think there's more. I don't think there's less. I think that he created them and they have this purpose. Our chapter 12, verse 25. 
And when they rise from the dead, they will neither marry nor be given in marriage, but are like angels in heaven. We're not becoming angels. We're like angels in that we're not given in marriage. So let's look at this and see what Jesus did and did not say about marriage in heaven. And the biggest thing to to keep in mind here is that we will be made entirely whole in our glorified state. If you're a Christian this morning and you have been redeemed by the finished work of Christ, you have been justified. It's one of those theological words that's really important to understand that we have been justified before a holy God. In other words, all the work that needs to be done to make me right with a holy God has been done in Christ Jesus. But I have my body and, and, and my soul has not yet been glorified. One day, I will be glorified. We just sang about it as well. Hey, one day, scrolls, you know, the clouds kind of rip back and, and Christ will come. And, and we begin to see eternity coming into being. But we're not there yet. And so why I'm justified before a holy God, I have not received a glorified body because if this is the glorified body, <laughs> then somebody's playing a joke. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. We're, we're not glorified. And so please remember as we think through this, as we follow what Christ is saying here is that we do not have full understanding. Do you admit this morning that you do not have full understanding of all things? Okay, so we're working with very limited, somewhat limited uh, ability to grasp this this morning. We will not have needs, wants, and shortcomings in any way with this glorified body. And that's hard to understand today uh, I, some think it's kind of impossible to understand how we're going to be, uh, how uh, God will be our sufficiency and He will be our, com- uh, our completeness. And that's why we say things like, will there be golf in heaven? I, I don't know. I mean, I really don't. I, I don't think so. Um, because would we all shoot hole in ones? I, I, I mean, I mean, really, what is. Uh, one that I get a lot. I bet old grandpa's fishing in heaven right now. And I love the sentiment of that. I do. Everything within my human understanding wants to see grandpa either on the, on the shore, like just bringing in the big ones, okay? Or out there in a canoe in the middle, just resting and fishing. And But folks, that's with the human understanding that we are a needy people. Would you agree with this? that right now we are amazingly needy. In our fall, we are amazingly needy. And so what we try to do is we try to fill that need with a lot of different things. It can be a relationship, it can be things, it can be fun activities, not necessarily evil things. I mean, some of them can borderline evil and some of them can be flat out evil. But because we're needy people, we try to fill our lives with things, with relationships, even marriage. That doesn't mean that marriage is wrong. God is the one who created it and ordained it. But we're needy people. Can you even imagine a version of you that is without neediness? I can't. But I promise you, you stand in front of your God and his completeness and his holiness, and you won't have need. Blows my mind now. Can't even imagine what a life, 
But let me ask you this. In your maturity in Jesus Christ, hoping that you've matured in Jesus Christ, in your maturity of Jesus Christ, have you needed less and less of the things of this world and more and more of Jesus? So we've tasted it a little bit. Even in our lack of total maturity here, we're going to, as I mature in Christ, I am finding that Jesus really is sufficient. I can see it is well with my soul because I see the sufficiency of Christ more and more and more. Are we there yet? No. Is that completely done? No. But do you see how that's working in your life if you're maturing in Christ more and more? We're a needy people. Now understand, heaven is not just a continuation of the present life. It is a new life. It is eternal life. It is different. It's not just earth without traffic and bills. That's not heaven, guys. And sometimes we think that heaven is the this world with the absence of hard things and difficulties and sadness. No, it's actually a new world. It's actually a new existence in one way. Yes, Bobby will be there. Yes, you will be there if you've put your hope and trust in Christ. And so I'm not saying that it's not new, uh, or it doesn't have a continuation in that sense. But it is just drastically different from this world. It's not just kind of a cleaned up version of this world. We will be with God. So with this in mind, let's examine possible reasons why Jesus said that there would be no marriage in heaven. I'll give you three things this morning. Marriage was created to keep us from being lonely. We go all the way back to the author of marriage, the creator of marriage, God himself. It is not good. He keeps on saying, he creates things. It is good. It is good. It is good. And then finally, God says something is not good. Do you remember what that was? It is not good for a man to be alone. And so he creates Eve so that he can, that Adam and Eve can have companionship, that they can have relationship. And, uh, Many have experienced the joy and the special companionship that God ordained in this and gave it as a gift. Uh, I can truly say that the love of my life, my, my wife, is like the, seeming to me the perfect companion. I truly believe that we can go all the way back to, to Genesis and that she was created for me as much as Eve was created for Adam and, and Adam for Eve. What a beautiful thing that God has done. What a beautiful blessing that he's given. And, and Because right now I have loneliness. I mean, Carly and I haven't spent a lot of these 37 years apart. And, and when we do, we're kind of miserable. I used to tell kids on the few times that she was, um, when our children were really young, and so she couldn't go on some of the youth trips. And we were going to go on a five or six day youth trip. And I would tell the kids on day one, Day one. By Friday or Saturday, I'm not going to be real happy. I'm not going to be real nice. I'm going to be pretty irritable because I'm away from Carly. So improve your behavior during the week, you know, because I'm just telling you, watch out. And I would tell them that because I said, I don't do good apart from Carly. In this world, marriage was created to keep us from being lonely so that we can have this significant person in our life. But in heaven, we will not experience this vulnerability. Doesn't that blow your mind? You can either be really sad about that 
Are you going to be overwhelmed that we won't have this need? We will experience this joy with God and get this, with others. Are there Christians that you love but wouldn't want to go on a week camping trip with? That's one of those, amen. <laughs> and probably somebody popped into your mind <laughs> about that time. I love them because they're a brother in Christ, sister in Christ, but I sure don't want to go spend a week at the beach with them. <laughs> it won't be that way in heaven. That's hard to believe. <laughs> That's hard to believe. But you will see the perfected them. As much as I might irritate you, Don't judge me yet, okay? Because this is not the perfected Bobby. When we get to heaven, you will love me. (laughs) And I will love you. Why? Because we will have the perfection of Christ in us. And we won't have need because he is sufficient for our needs. Is that starting to make sense? But right now, doesn't that kind of blow your mind a little bit? I mean, just that thought that you're going to be there for eternity. Not with Aunt Susie that you love, but Aunt Mildred. That gets on your nerves. (laughs) But if Aunt Mildred has put her faith and trust in Jesus Christ, Aunt Mildred will be there, and you will love her. You will love her. And her perfection of what Christ has done. So that's the first one. The second one, marriage was created for the continuation of mankind. When sin entered the world, so did death. And so you have people dying. And uh, does God already know this? Does God know this beforehand? God knows all things. Time is not a factor with God. He sees eternally. And that's why he's able to tell uh, Adam and Eve, for this reason a man shall leave his mother and father and uh, cleave to his wife. They didn't even have a mother and father. Okay, But he already sees the completed plan. In this completed plan, he said, go be fruitful and go and multiply. Okay, He's given us the, the ability of procreation. Okay, Why? Because death is coming. Because of their disobedience, all of a sudden their perfected bodies now will die. And so he gives us this ability for procreation because there's going to be death. And so we replenish the earth and we're going to go uh, uh, fill the earth. And while it's physically possible to have babies without being married, this was not God's intent or purpose because God created the idea of family. I hope that you're seeing that all this is starting good together come together, and yet in an imperfect world with imperfect people, we don't always get it right. But God's plan was 100% right. And so God created us for this uh, uh, intimacy together of hearts and minds and this intimacy sexually. And that kind of leads to the third point of I don't believe that there will be marriage in heaven. Marriage was created to keep us pure. God put into our hearts a sexual nature, okay? Some more than others, but all of us are sexual beings, okay? And so God created in us this desire. It is to be lived out in the union of marriage and keep its purity, the two become one. But we see all these uh, verses that talk about this. And yet we are susceptible because we are sexual beings that even outside of marriage, can we have sexual thought? You're you're in church. It's okay. Can we have sexual thought outside of marriage? No. 
And so what does the Bible say? In 1 Corinthians 7, 2, it says that a man should have his own wife, a woman should have her own husband to keep them from sexual immorality. I made you sexual beings. You do have this desire. I've made a format for you to have this in a healthy and productive and even spiritual way. So I want you to get married. I don't want you just to act upon this nature willy-nilly. That's a Greek word there for you. Marriage was designed to allow us to experience the depth of intimacy, uh, even through sexual relationships, the two becoming one. But there will not be that need in heaven. We're not replenishing the earth. Why? Because we're not going to die in heaven. There's a matter of logic here that says, okay, that makes sense, that makes sense. Okay, we don't have to have this. Okay, is there going to be temptation in heaven? No, there's no sin there. Right now, we're having to deal with temptation. Agreed? And so when he tells us in 1 Corinthians 7, 2, hey, have a, have a husband, have a, have a wife, so that you can do this in accordance to the plan that I have. But we're not dealing with that in heaven. When you put these things together, we begin to see the beauty of marriage now and the beautiful creation that it is. But we also begin to see that in heaven, we're not going to be dealing with some of the vulnerabilities that we have right now. Number one, there's not going to be loneliness. We really don't get this, guys. We really don't. We think about heaven as an escape from hell. We think that of heaven of a good place and, and all these things. I don't know that my mind can comprehend. I get All of my neediness, gone. Because I get God. I try to fill it with so many other things now. God is certainly one of those things that I throw into that. But, you know, there's a whole bunch of things that I throw into that pie. But when I get to heaven, I get God. And I will be needy no longer. And, and so, no loneliness, no death, no temptation. It's hard for us to imagine life without the spouse being like married in heaven because it's hard for us to imagine life without loneliness, life without death, our life without temptation. So our sadness is a matter of not fully understanding. Would you agree with that? That it's this lack of full understanding that creates this sadness. Here's how I have to grasp it. Heaven is a more than, not a less than. Well, Pastor, that's kind of simplistic. I'm kind of a simplistic guy. (laughs) The brain doesn't go real deep, okay? I'm not a really smart guy. And so I have to keep it kind of on that level. Heaven is a more than. Can I trust God that heaven is a more than, not a less than? If I highly value marriage and my wife here, can I trust God that if marriage, heaven is without marriage, that it's a more than instead of a less than? My faith has to take me there. I have to depend on the character of God and the promise of God and who he is. I have no earthly understanding that doesn't bring sadness to that point. But it's only when I think spiritually and heavenly and my faith is in him that I'm going, somehow, God, this is going to be a more than. I don't get it. But somehow, I trust you that it's going to be a more than. That whatever is absent 
is replaced by something far better. Scripture interpreting Scripture. Look at 1 Corinthians 13, 12, as we're about to close this morning. For now we see in a mirror dimly. Amen? (laughs) But then face to face. Now I am known in part, then I shall know, even as I have been fully known. We're working, we, we know some things, but it's like in a mirror dimly. Have you ever had a really dirty mirror? You know, I mean, you, you kind of say, well, you know, there's a nose and there's eyes and that, but it's like, I mean, I can't, you know, do this or I can't do that because I can't get a clear reflection. And, and so it's limited. Why? Because we can't get a pure reflection. But he says, then you'll be fully known and you will know fully. This verse, along with many, many other examples in the Word, lead me to personally believe that I will know Carly and that I know my girls and I'll know my grandchildren and I'll know you. We'll be known as we were known. We won't be given in marriage. I I can't go against just because I emotionally want this to happen. I can't say, Jesus, you're wrong. No, Jesus, you're right. I, I can't even fathom it because I'm looking in a mirror dimly right now, but I trust you that it's a more than than a less than. I'm trusting God that his very nature to give us good gifts and to do far abundantly more than we could ever think or ask. I'm depending on that. And so that's why I want to leave you with this this morning, because this is kind of a sad thing. It really is. 37 years, I wanted to be a million and 37 Ephesians 3, 20, 21. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think. I'm thinking of this, you know, I, I want this marriage. I want this to be forever and ever. Far more than we ask or think according to the power at work within us. To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus. Look throughout all generations, and how long? Forever and ever. Amen. Can you trust God? And he saved you. And is he going to take something away? Oh, yeah, that marriage, I know you really enjoyed it. But I'm going to take that away. Because I just want you to sit here at the throne and I want you to worship. Well, that sounds good, God, but it sounds a little boring by year 2,000 or 3,000 or 5,000. You know, uh, how long are we going to be doing this? My mind cannot conceive. We can barely last an hour, folks, in worship. I certainly can't conceive thousands of years and we're still singing the same song. You think now some of the songs are repetitive? Oh my goodness, wait till we get to heaven. And yet, we do not have glorified bodies. We do not have finished minds and hearts and souls and all that to understand. We are in the presence of sin and and we have to deal with sin and all the fallenness of man. All of that is God. No more sickness, no more pain, no more death, no more broken relationships. But the main thing, please get this, it's not just the absence of those things, but it's the presence of of our God. Why is this going to be okay? 
as I get God. And if you put your faith and your trust in Jesus, you get God. And I promise you, you will not be needy. Let's pray. Father, what a hard subject. Father, in my in my own mind, I would want to resist this. And so I thank you for Jesus being kind of matter of fact. I thank you for other scriptures that be are able to, to enlighten us that that doesn't mean that we're going to lose personalities, that we won't know one another. I believe I'm going to know my grandma, my granddad. I believe that that we will have relationship of some sort in heaven, but that's going to be expanded, not taken away, Father, that all of a sudden other brothers and sisters in Christ, that on earth I would not want to spend much more than four or five hours with, that, Father, that I will with joy be able to spend all eternity with. My mind cannot conceive that because it's an imperfected mind. So, Father, thank you for this promise of perfection. Thank you, Father, for a promise that because of your amazing grace, Father, one day we will get you. So, Father, until that day when we come upon difficult subjects, help us to trust your word, Father. Help us to trust who you are in nature that you are a giving God, a loving God, and that you, Father, exceedingly more than we could ever imagine or think are our supplier. We love you and we thank you, and we sing this song now, Father, just in appreciation of the grace that you've given us and the grace, Father, that will be completed as we await this day. We love you, and we pray this in the hope of Christ. Amen. Thank you for listening today. We hope this message was a blessing to you. To learn more about our church or our media ministry, you can visit us online at www.corner-stone.org or find us on Facebook.